Welcome to Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I'm your host, Phil, and today I'm joined by Todd Brown and Ian Doak of our CCS Challenge Course Services Department. And in this episode, we are talking about new builds. So let's say that someone was interested in wanting a challenge course built on their property, or maybe they wanted an addition, but let's say go, let's go for new builds. What's the process? How might they start that and engage in that conversation? There's many different paths to have you ending up with a challenge course. We like to start with the program first. You know, what are you trying to do with a challenge course? What are your program goals? What are the outcomes that you're looking for? So that for us, you will typically start after a phone call or an email inquiry with us sending you our program development form. And the beginning of that form asks a lot of basic questions, address, contact, site location. Um, But then it gets into more of the program that you're running. Who are you running it for? What's the age? What's the population? What's the time that you're going to be programming with them? And all of those components really help us design a course because, you know, a course for a summer camp is going to be programmed on differently than a course for a PE department, different from a therapeutic center. Um, That's in part because of the age of the participant, uh, but it's also different because of the duration of time that they have to actually do the programming. And it's also in part based on how many staff you have to dedicate to running a challenge course. We couldn't design a challenge course that requires three staff to run it for a PE program that has one staff, 30 kids in 45 minutes. It just, it won't work. So we ask a lot of those questions up front on this program development form. And we like to send that to people because it allows that main contact to one, start thinking about this process more than just, hey, I want a challenge course, but it also gives them the opportunity to collaborate with other staff that they have so they can say, hey, what do you want to do with this program and what do you want to do with this program? And again, I get them all on board to really start thinking about how it's going to be used. Beyond the, the program questions, we're asking location. So sometimes people come to us and they know nothing about a challenge course and sometimes they come to us and they have a very clear picture of what they want. Like, hey, I saw this course that you built and I want something like that. Or we have a great wooded site and I want my challenge course to be in those woods. So in that program development form, it gives them the opportunity to mention that to us, put any specific elements they want in there. One other question that we ask that sometimes can be hard for people to answer at this early stage, but it's a question around budget. And, you know, some people may not know high five very well and think, well, if I tell them I have $50,000, they're going to spend $53,000 and it's only, but it's only going to really cost 20,000. And that's just, that's not true. That's not how we operate. Us asking the question of budget helps us get you to where you want to be quicker. You know, if, if you are talking to us and and everything we're hearing sounds like you want a $50,000 challenge course, but you have $10,000 budget for phase one, it helps us get to that point quicker and, and to design what makes sense for you for your budget. I mean, then we also ask about timeline. You know, are you looking to do this tomorrow? Or are you looking to do this in a year from now? So that program development form is a great first step. It gives us a lot of information that then comes to high five, 
typically after that, we follow it up with a phone call and then we schedule a site visit. That is where um, most of the time it's myself or one of our other building staff will visit your site with one of our trainers. Phil, you and I have been on many a site visits, which are, are always a, a great time. We get to know the customers better. We get to know their staff. We get to know their facility. And when we're at a site visit, we are doing, we are kind of recapping all the questions on that program development form. We're allowing you to elaborate more. We're asking questions that we have. We do get to see your facility, whether we're looking at an indoor gymnasium build or if we're looking at an outdoor field space to be built on poles or we're looking at building trees. All of those components help us design and budget an appropriate course for you. I absolutely love going to do the site visits. I think that the thing that you highlighted that maybe you need to us, but it's certainly a core component of us when we're talking about builds is the program. Like what is the overall outcomes that you want to get out of it? If you say you want a zip and then your goals don't line up with you wanting to zip, we're probably not going to recommend a zip. And I think that's sometimes shocking to people when they've asked for something and they were like, yeah, you don't need that. Or they want, they've got this amount of money they want to spend, but realistically they could get away with spending less and still reading their outcome. So I think that that program piece is, is really integral and important. You, you mentioned the budget. Are there generic like uh, sort of averages that you could give around how much certain things might cost if they were lows versus highs versus some specialties? What, what considerations might they, they put into place if they, they're hearing this? I mean, the biggest thing, the caveat that I'll put into this is if it's being built on utility poles, or if it's being built on unhealthy trees. Both have their advantages and disadvantages. Utility poles are expensive in the startup because you have to purchase the pole. You have to get them delivered, which means it comes on an 18-wheel truck that has a crane on it, not cheap. Um, those poles have to be set in the ground, so a hole gets dug, the pole gets set in. And then those poles also need to be guide back down to the ground, so they are going to have ground anchors and guide cables. The advantage, though, is that once you build it, those are there. You know, they don't grow. They don't die. <laughs> Maintenance is, over the long term is much less, whereas trees are a more inexpensive startup because the structure is already there and we're just connecting our elements. Um, so to answer your question, a general ballpark price is, you know, a lot of our high elements, depending on what components are in there, are probably averaging around $3,000, I'm going to say, some with, like, the vertical playpen or our Voyager crossing activity that has more components to it, maybe on the higher side of that. And some things like a, a two line bridge is going to be substantially less than that. That's not including a structure. So that is to be built in trees. If you're going to be building low elements, you're probably closer to like a, a 15 to $1,800 ballpark. Again, products that have a lot of lumber, like our Moby deck or our whale watch are going to be on the higher side of that. Things like a spider's web or islands, those are going to be substantially less than that. Another, and so that's, that's one number. So you can't think, well, I want 10 elements and they're going to be $3,000 and it's going to be built in trees and do that math without adding in a bunch of other things to consider. That being equipment, that being proper, a proper training, travel expenses for us to get there and get back, shipping and handling. So there are other pieces to it that, that add into the cost. And when we give you an estimate, we cover all of that. There's no hidden expenses. So you will get an estimate that's a line item by line item estimate. So you can see how much 
each individual element is going to cost. You can see what you're going to be paying for travel expenses and training. And, and we do a pretty good job of putting estimates out there and sticking to those estimates through small builds and very large builds. Yeah, and I would say the other consideration from the training side of things is dependent on what elements you decided you want will also depend on the amount of days that you'll need to spend in training. So when you're asking for things like specialty elements, which are the swing, the zip, flying squirrel, those activities, those will often require an additional day of training. They just require a little bit more time. So when you want those things, that is a consideration to to have in mind that you are going to have to have some training and it doesn't have to necessarily be through us but there will need to be some retraining that is involved in that so um, those are considerations you can't not include in a budget when you're thinking what a new build is going to require just in terms of the the course elements and their options i um, i recommend listeners go to our website which is highfiveadventure.org if you go to the challenge course services tab you'll notice that there is a section that says course elements and then you can see the elements that we build and diagrams of them in that so that will allow you to be able to hear the things that we've been saying and the names we've been using and associate them with a a visual so you can see what those look like in terms of as well the the program design a lot of the times there the something that i found that people don't often consider is a sequence of activity like how are you actually going to utilize the activities and are they going to flow together well or are they just off set random elements here and there and that's where you know at any time we go to a site and i hear the like oh we want to zip it just always puts in my head, is, do they want it for the, or the wow factor of the zip or is that somewhere going to be embedded into their program in some way? If it's just that they want it for a while, that's fine, but it's just a consideration that they need to have some prep going into that, potentially leading the, the participants to feel like they're comfortable climbing at height and then being at this point and then zipping. It's not going to be for everyone if you haven't set your participants up very well for that and that might require that you do have a climb that is lower and has some progression to it so that you're not just pushing them into this particularly uh, uncomfortable position of having this one element that you end up knowing is not going to get used to its full potential because you haven't prepped your participants. So there's lots of uh, programmatic discussions. And if you would like to, and you want to have a new build, and you would like to just bounce ideas off anyone about program, you can always email me at pbrown at highfiveadventure.org, and I'm happy to talk program stuff and if you want to talk more about the design, you can email Ian at Ian or I-D-O-A-K, Ian Doak, at highfiveadventure.org, and he will uh, answer that too. What's nice, and I think that Ian, you'll agree, is this isn't separate departments when it's new builds, right? Like there's, there's, if there's a question about program, they'll come to the training team. And likewise, if there's a question about build, I'm going to go to the experts in that. But we work very cohesively together to be able to... Uh, form those new builds. I would fully agree with you, Phil. I think that's one of the unique components that High Five offers is we don't just send a builder to a site visit. We we did back in the early days, but then we learned like, wow, we need we need a, a trainer there to look at the program as well. And you know, I think both our builders and trainers can talk both sides of the fence, but we also have our expertise. One's a building, one's a training. And like you said, Phil, when we come back from that site visit we sit down together and we create an element list. Okay. This is what we heard. This is what we're recommending. And we base it on, um, or the design reflects that in like you're saying activities that are a little bit easier to elements that will very much challenge that population that they're working with. 
sort of a funny side story is everyone, you know, you were talking about zip lines and how you can't just have a zip line. So people are not going to be successful. I have a, a 10 year old who's in fifth grade and we went up to the high five challenge course and he was, they've been on it once a while ago, but they were so convinced that they were going to go on the zip line. Oh, we got to do the zip line. And we walk up the back way up to our challenge course, which walks underneath the zip cable and you don't even know you're there. And I just point to him and I said, so that's the platform for the zip platform. And before I could even get my hand down, he's like, nope, not doing that. That's <laughs> way too high. <laughs> so we went to the two line bridge and the Burma bridge, which were much more appropriate for a first time climber and a lower to the ground. And I, I tell that story because that's important. You need to remember if you've been climbing a lot, you're a lot more comfortable up there. You have people who never even put a harness on, let alone going to climb up, stand on a platform and jump off onto a zip line. So there's got to be a progression in the course design. So it's successful for all your participants. And that's so key. And one of those things that people overlook when they're thinking about starting a program, you know, they don't think about the staff and the training. They don't think about the sequencing typically. So that's why I so believe that high five approach of talking about programming right off the bat. That's what helps people develop successful programs because when it, when it comes right down to it, the equipment, the elements, the activities are tools. And if, if you don't have the facilitators, the trained staff to appropriately give people an experience, it's not going to be a successful program, even if it's the best designed element you can get. If you don't have staff with the proper training who are excited about what they're doing, your groups are not going to have positive outcomes. What are ideal locations as people look at their own sites and think, oh, I've got this, I think I've got this great location. What makes a great location for a challenge course? A lot of times it comes down to the length of time you have to program. So the distance from your facility, how far people are going to have to walk to get to the course is a factor you have to take into consideration. People always think, wow, you know, zip wires, you have to start up high and you've got to zip down this long trail to uh, go down the hill. Um, when actually gravity brake zips, which are what we prefer to install, basically it's the only thing we install at this point, you need ground that's kind of a little more level than it is starting up high and, and ending down low. We've built courses in many, many locations. Some are perfect and some are what the customer has and we pick the best space. <laughs> um, and I agree, Todd, like making sure what that, that distance from wherever the participants are coming needs to be taken into consideration. So for in a PE class, for example, and you have 45 minutes to an hour of time, you don't want to make the course be a 15 minute walk because it's a beautiful location because you just lost a half an hour of your programming time. Um, so that's an important side to think about. Uh, you know, I think if I was to describe my perfect design as far as location beyond the distance from where they're coming from, it would be building a pole course that is nestled into the woods. And when I say nestled, I mean, we're not going to come in and clear cut. And so we can put it in this postage stamp space. I want to selectively cut. So you have trees and shade and you feel like you're in the woods, but the poles are sort of mingled in with, with the trees. The gentleman who does the TV show Treehouse Masters always talks about having a space that sort of speaks to him and has a feeling like, oh, this is the perfect location on your property for your treehouse. And I feel like that's so true for a challenge course as well. You need to choose a space that is going to encourage people and excite people to learn. 
if you build the challenge course in a, a damp, swampy area, it's not going to be conducive to those experiences. And it's very true as you walk through the woods, and this happens many times when I'm, <laughs> I'm at a site visit, you just get a feeling about a location. You know, the woods, not to be cheesy, but will like speak to you like, this has a much better feeling over here in this stand of trees or this field than somewhere else. And it, it just happens. It's different for every site. But I find that's very important. And I always think I, I communicate that to customers about their classroom. If you have a classroom that's dark and dingy and the, sh- the shades are drawn, probably not going to be a great learning experience and kind of take that model into the challenge course design aspect as well. And also the, the site changes seasonally. So if you're, we're there in the winter and we're checking, make sure you know what it looks like when the snow's not there. So it's not like when the yeah. snow melt, we realize we're in a swamp. And also any, any standing water in the summertime is often going to result in mosquitoes in the summer months. So which will in turn also make a very not fun place to be programming if you know that you've got to keep going out to the mosquito area to get climbers. And the only, the only refuge is up in the air, which is fine for the climber, but... Poor for the Belaya. But sites don't need to have a, a perfect wooded spot for a challenge course. Um, we've installed challenge courses in for schools in spaces that were old parking lots, and we've actually poked holes to set poles right through blacktop. I mean, you, you're going to want to do something about the ground surface afterwards, which this particular site did. They came in, tore out the blacktop, and put down wood chips. But... Challenge courses can go into a lot of different places. And we've talked a lot about outdoor spaces, but we also build in gymnasiums um, and indoor spaces. Never wrong to ask if, you know, just because you want a challenge course and you don't think you've got the right space, doesn't hurt to start the process and the conversations because you may have more than you think. That's a very good point because we've, we have been talking a lot about challenge courses as a high structure. And maybe you don't have an outdoor space and maybe your indoor space is so used for everything else that you're like, there's no way I could program in here. But there are also portable activities that we build or things that maybe could happen in the gymnasium that don't take up a lot of space and you could store them in the rafters, but then you could lower them down and then take them to another location. And so I would support that comment, Todd, of if people are out there and think they don't have the space for a challenge course, but they want one, there are so many different options beyond just this high activity or this large course that requires lots of space and a larger budget. Everything from our program bags to our cube product, which is a portable version of a spider's web is the quick explanation of that to like islands or bangle boards. All of those activities are are ones that could help supplement your program and, and allow you to do adventure without having to spend the money on for a giant challenge course. Yeah, and know through the process of the discussion around what you want, we may end up recommending, yeah, you don't need this high. In fact, just you, let's use this money that you've got left over in your budget to purchase uh, a facilitation day of training or some prop bags or some props or a cube. Or, there's always good discussions around that. And I know that I was, um, I think the last site visit I did with Krista in terms of location as well was we just said, what else have you got? Because they'd shown us lots of things and they didn't know what they were looking for. And we ended up finding, I think, a site that, was was much better suited it was closer to they hadn't considered they didn't think it was a large enough space there were lots of considerations that rely on us to make those distinctions and we just through the process of 
discussing what they wanted, we realized you didn't actually need all this and you, you, you could do with this. And I think that that's a huge part of the relationship that we form with our clients and the connection that we form is that we truly want to understand what your, your goals are to be able to fit your needs. And it doesn't have to be this huge challenge course. It can be something less than. Um, I remember I was interviewed for a Camp Hacker podcast. I think you can find the episode on Adventure Program. And I joked actually with Todd Annie and that I essentially said in there, I kind of sold people out of huge challenge course builds, which looks like that might be problematic for our business. But I think that that leads into our overarching conversation is this is that we are very outcomes focused and program focused and whatever the needs are once you fill in that program goals form it might drastically change the outcome of what you are assuming a build might be in terms of location and also the amount of stuff you need if you're starting an adventure program maybe your initial start is just an activity bag and and a day of training and then through that process you realize that this is actually a viable program for us to have and now we'll add to it rather than which can happen and has happened where we where people build a challenge course, use it for a season, and then it goes to it just goes to bed and it never gets woken up again because the interest wasn't there or the the design in a program wasn't up to a good standard for them to continue it. Any other thoughts around new builds from either of you? Anything that I've maybe missed or we want to highlight? Yeah, I would say the the other part that you should consider is the ongoing maintenance of a challenge course. So there is the initial cost to build it, which we've covered a lot of those expenses, including equipment. Um, and when we do build it, we would provide you with a commissioning report that says that your course has been inspected and it's ready to be used and we'll do your initial training. Beyond that, your course does need to be inspected annually by a professional vendor. You need to also be considering the training aspect. You know, if, if you have returning staff every year, then our, depending on who they are, but we have a recommended training plan of, of maybe getting a skills refresher one year and then doing an in-house or a, a training through high five. And Phil, you can probably talk to the training aspect a little bit more than I can on that, but you should be budgeting for an annual inspection at the very minimum for ongoing maintenance. That maintenance for the first few years on a brand new course can be pretty low. The materials used to build the course courses these days will last quite a quite a while tree courses you have to deal with tree growth um, but that's typically at least five years down the road if not 10. so equipment the equipment part is where you're you're going to have more replacement maintenance needs yeah and a good consideration uh is that if harnesses and helmets are going to be retired in 10 years that there's a budget set aside either for that point or you get into a habit of buying a few every other year or so um, so that you don't run into after 10 years your entire equipment catalog is gone and then you have this huge amount of cost to try to reinvigorate the program again so getting into the habit of three or four harnesses every every so often um, is going to be far better than 20 harnesses every 10 years in terms of uh, the way to budget for that and then in terms of the training, the, uh, as Ian stated, the, the recommendation is you're getting some form of training every three years. Um, that's either having us come out to you or bringing staff out to us and then doing in-service. In the other stuff consideration as well is the requirement around, from our perspective, of having someone on your site who's level two trained. So that means who's able to deal with gear retrievals at height, um, who's able to deal with potential rescues that could um, happen on the course and that person is on site when a program is being operated so there are some training 
requirements that we have or recommendations that we have for a course that needs to be considered into that budget too. And once again, all of those things we can answer either by a phone call. You can call us at 802-254-8718. We always answer our phones. And by emailing over any one of us, which is our first initial, our last name, and then at highfiveadventure.org. Great. Thank you so much, Ian and Todd, for this conversation on new builds. Super helpful for anyone listening to this who is considering one of those. All right. Thanks, everyone. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving us a good guy. As a reminder, please, if you could uh, continue to share the podcast with any educators that you think would find this beneficial, as well as letting me know what information you'd like me to share about and who potentially you'd like me to interview at podcast at H-I-G-H, the number five, adventure.org. Thank you so much. Stay safe and stay connected.